You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Welcome to episode 12. I'm really excited to be presenting this interview with Emma Mullings. But first, as always, if you've got a question or a suggestion for who to interview, then shoot me an email to hello at rachelasimpson.com or rachel at victoryonemedia.com. And if you're a fan of this podcast, then I'd love for you to personally share it with someone else who you think may enjoy it or share it with your network on platforms like Twitter or Facebook. And now for this episode. Today, we chat to radio and TV presenter, actress, musician, mum, wife and pastor, Emma Mullings. Emma shares about losing her mum at age four and the impact that had on her and her faith journey. She shares about her career in the TV and radio industries and her battle with depression. She talks about reconnecting with God after a long journey away from Christianity as well. So I hope that you enjoy this candid and engaging discussion as much as I did. Here's my conversation with Emma Mullings. I grew up in country Queensland, a place called Ipswich. It's probably an hour west of Brisbane. Yeah. And did you enjoy growing up in the country? Um... Hmm. Define <laughs> and joy. <laughs> uh, I, yes and no. Yes and no. I've, I think I've always been, I mean, yeah, sure, it had its great points, but I always wanted to get to the big city. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And what are some of your early memories growing up there? Um, my, oh gosh, my childhood was pretty up and down, shall we call it. So my memories, look, there are good memories, don't get me wrong. They're not all horrific, but <laughs> there are some not so good memories. So my mum died when I was four. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of stuff happened in my childhood. It wasn't the greatest time for me, but at the same time, there are some good memories too, you know? Mm. Yeah. And do you have an early memory of God or of religion? Yes, I do remember. Um, so my parents had started a church in Ipswich, which my dad still runs. And I do remember as a young girl, um, my youngest sister, my oldest sister passed away when she was 18 months. My youngest sister is severely brain damaged. And I we shared a room. And so I do remember always, like every night, just praying for her healing. Mm. But, yeah, that's probably my earliest memory of, like, yeah, God's presence and God's voice. And, yeah, was always praying for her. Wow. I always felt felt like God was right there and he was just listening intently. Wow. Yeah. And what about school? Did you enjoy school? (laughs) I don't want to sound like I didn't enjoy anything. (laughs) Um, So I did a homeschool program that was run by the local church. Oh, wow. Yeah. Does that explain a lot to you? (laughs) Still recovering. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So that was down, yeah, down at the local church, which my dad ran, which was like down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, And the whole school had about 25 kids, Mm -hmm. you know, so there were maybe three people in my grade as such, but we were all together. So that was grades. Now in Queensland, it's a little bit different. So it's grade one to seven. And then you go to high school in grade eight. I think here in New mm-hmm. South Wales, it's one to six and you go to high school in grade seven. Yeah. So what happened, I did grade one to six and then the school, they, the church just couldn't find, find it anymore. It was a homeschool program mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was just still proving too challenging. They didn't have enough kids and um, yeah, so it closed down. So grade seven, I did the last year of primary school at a public school. So that was that was very interesting um now keeping in mind i'm sure homeschooling has progressed okay (laughs) i don't want to bag out the homeschoolers because it's a massive job seriously and i think people are a lot more socially aware now of children's emotional needs and social Mm. interactions but um yeah not not back when i did it so i went to this public primary school Okay, first of all, the, this is this is what I remember. You know the chicken dance? 
Yeah. A little bit. I never heard of it. Never heard of it. And they did it like every assembly. I'm like, what? What are these people doing? And it was just little. <laughs> it was little things like that, and you know. Um, sport was always challenging mm-hmm. because I actually do really like out, I love the outdoors and I love mm-hmm. physical activity but I'd never learned any sports because mm. didn't have that doing the homeschool thing so yeah I, I still don't know how to play netball but <laughs> so I, I just remember that just you know sport they'd throw you a bib and I'm like I have no idea what this means well, I have no <laughs> idea what these people are doing like and no one I think when you're that age like no one's actually going to teach you mm. um and I was very shy Mm-hmm. So I just internal I was internalizing everything and I was very angry but internalizing I couldn't communicate so I didn't tell people that I have no idea what you people are doing <laughs> like what why are you throwing to the ball why why are you not moving with the ball I've seen basketball on TV like I think you can <laughs> run like <laughs> it was just yeah. it was really it was really horrible um so yeah and then I went from there to a public high school mm-hmm so then I was just, you know, exposed to all these things that I'd never seen or dreamed of. And, um, mm. yeah, that was interesting. And did you discover music in high school? Music was always something that I loved. So my mum was a recording artist. Oh, right. Yeah. So she released six albums. Um, she was a songwriter, um, multi-instrumentalist and, and yeah, she would tour a lot in the late seventies, early eighties before she died. Um, it was worship music and she would speak a lot at different women's conferences, which were all, which were kind of new back then. Like she was quite a pioneer in that field. Mm-hmm. So I think music was always in my blood. Like I remember when I was a kid, I just wanted to be a singer but at the same time, um, we didn't have much money at all. And I really, I, re- I just remember as a kid, I desperately wanted piano lessons. I just wanted piano lessons, but we could never afford it. Wanted singing lessons, could never afford, afford it. So I loved music and I had a passion for music, but I had no kind of outlet. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. And then you did go on to study music after high school? I did. Um, yeah, so I finished yep, grade 12 and it was it was good actually because um, it was just via audition, that particular course in Brisbane. So, um, yeah, I would write songs and, uh, you know, I kind of taught myself to play a little bit, but not very much. And, but yeah, did I studied in Brisbane for two years actually. And then had another year where I didn't do anything <laughs> and then came down to Sydney. I got a scholarship to study in Sydney. And how did you find the transition into Sydney? I have no idea how I survived. Like in hindsight, I didn't know what I was doing. I actually was in a really bad relationship in Ipswich and I was 20 years old. I knew I had to get out of this relationship. I had big dreams, you know, to do music, but had no no one around me to like no I had no idea where to go or what to do and I actually just, and I was away from God I'd left church when I was 14 okay so I had no relationship with God whatsoever mm-hmm. and it was funny actually I was working at this pub and I remember just opening the paper and I would never read the paper I was just there and in hindsight it was so God but I opened to this ad and it was um, auditions for this course in Sydney, music course, and the auditions were in Brisbane. And I was like, I'm going to go, and um, found out there was a scholarship available, and applied for the scholarship and got it. Great. So <laughs> um, I had no money, had no you know savings, and I felt like I, I, I mean, I really had a dream, but I had no idea what to do with it, and I really just needed to get out of that relationship. Um, I was looking for an escape and um, that was, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, that was just God orchestrating to, to move me out of a really um, dysfunctional relationship. But mm. yeah, I, I remember just telling my dad, I'm going to move to Sydney and he's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'd come out with some pretty crazy things. Um, and, you know, I was very independent and mm. kind of did my own thing. And, and yeah, so I had a car um, and packed up everything in my room, 
put it in my car and I drove to Sydney and I hadn't I, had, I really had no idea what I was doing I remember staying I stayed with the receptionist at the college oh, wow. so she was the one that I was talking to and then by at that time it was on the phone <laughs> none of this email stuff <laughs> and um and I think she must have in realized this girl has no idea what she's doing and she <laughs> offered for me to stay with her for a week so I came drove drove hello 12 hours and again, uh, I remember asking her, how do I find somewhere to live? And she said, well, you look in the paper and you share accommodation. Like at that time, there was no, you know, flatmate finder and all that jazz. So mm. literally got the newspaper and drove around with a street directory. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That traumatic memories of driving around Sydney, no, like pulling over, looking at this street directory, like in tears, no idea where I was going to look at these dodgy apartments with people that could be axe murderers I don't know <laughs> and somehow I found this place in Leichhardt and it worked nice it was <laughs> insane I will never let my daughter do that but yeah <laughs> I will be going with her <laughs> yeah wow. and so was there a time around there that you sort of came back to God or uh not initially so mm. I left church when I was 14. Mm. I was really angry as a teenager. Um, I didn't understand why God let my mum die because she was such a woman of God. Mm. And I was I was angry at that. I was angry. We didn't, it was a little, you know, we didn't have much communication in our home. It was kind of unspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have photos of her around. Um, we didn't play her music. It was it was all you know. I mean, look, my dad and my my dad remarried, so my dad and my stepmom. Um, you only know what I mean. You don't know what you don't know. So yeah. it's like I think I actually think they did um, the best job they knew how to do. Yeah, but I was just very very angry and um, yeah, left church at fourteen. And how I came back to church actually. It was, gosh, how old was I? I was 23. So I was in Sydney for a few years. Mm. I was not in a good place because I had no value for myself and my life. And I always found it so challenging. People would always say to me when I was younger, you know, your mum would have wanted to be in heaven. Like, you know, she loved God so much. That's where she'd want to be. Mm-hmm. But in the and obviously as an adult, I, I understand what they mean and I can process that. But in the mind of a child, um, a child's mind doesn't have the understanding to be able to process that in a healthy way. So in the child's mind, hearing that constantly, I was just like, so she rejected me as well. Like, yeah. why wouldn't she? Why would you say that? Why wouldn't she want to be with me? Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of dysfunctions around that whole, her death and how it was, you know, um, handled and yeah. So I had a lot, a lot of like baggage. <laughs> um, so it was a few years and I think because of all that baggage, I, I just kind of come to this place where I really had no value for myself. I didn't value myself at all. And I would just try anything once because I remember thinking some nights, like, if I die tonight, it's like, who's going to miss me? Oh, wow. So that's kind of where I was at within myself. And I was working. I was still – I was pursuing music, though. I mean, I, that was the dream. That was kind of the only thing that kept me alive. And, um, yeah, and I was actually doing quite well at it, surprisingly. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea how. And um, I was working at a radio station, not the one I work at now, a different one, Um and I was getting ready to move because I had a really great opportunity presented to me to go to the US with my music. So I was working casually at a radio station and um, there was a new guy on actually. And we were driving around in the car giving out the free stuff. Remember how radio stations used to do that? Yeah. So which I, I just spent the whole day with this guy. <laughs> it was his first day. And oh my gosh, I'm quite, I'm actually quite an introvert by nature. I know that's hard to believe because my job is talking to people every day. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how I re- recoup is, you know, my down, my quiet time. I like silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he was just chatting away all day. And then I remember <laughs> he put on 
he turned the radio off and he put on a worship CD. And it was Hillsong Worship, I remember. It was Darlene Check. And I, obviously I know, knew what worship was. I grew up with worship. My mum mm. was a worship, was a recording artist. Like I knew it just, but at the same time, worship were, brought so much pain to me because it mm. reminded me of all the, you know, the pain and the loss. And I told him in very colourful language where I would put that CD if he continued to play it. <laughs> and I, he was pretty switched on. Like he realised this is not a normal reaction. Reaction, yeah. <laughs> and he started asking questions and found out that I was a pastor's kid, and no one would have suspected that at the time. How I, you know, um, where I was at within myself and how I behaved, no one would have thought that. So um, yeah, I think he just made it his mission that day to get me back in relationship with God and into a great church. So he um, started inviting me to his church every Sunday. And I remember it was three months. Every Sunday he would call, he would text, he would offer to pick me up. And I'd say no most of the time, but sometimes I'd say, yeah, I'll meet you there with no intention to go. (laughs) (laughs) So so wrong. Um, And I just, I remember it was three months and it was one Sunday. And at that time the service was at midday, 12. And I would party all the time and I'd been out all night. I remember waking up at 11 a.m. And there was his, you know, usual texts. And I don't know what it was. Something in me that day, I was like, you know, I'm going to go check it out. And I went wearing something completely inappropriate. <laughs> and you know what? It's funny. It's like I was so cynical because I remember thinking, oh, these these people, they don't know. Look at them praising God. They, they don't know, like, what they're doing. But at the same time... It felt like home and and it felt it was like that familiar safety that I hadn't, couldn't remember since I was a kid mm. so I kept going back a few for a few weeks and then I heard um, or I saw actually they were advertising on buses I just remember that there you go bus advertising at work. <laughs> I saw that our next mafia boss was speaking at C3 Oxford Falls and I was like okay our next mafia boss that sounds Interesting, And I went to that and I took my flatmate at the time, um, the girl I was living with. And you know what? That's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear someone's story that was so horrific to understand that God can restore. Mm-hmm. I needed to see that God could restore such a huge mess of that ex-mafia boss because his story was phenomenal to understand that God could restore the mess that I'd made. And yeah, I gave my life to God that night and so did my flatmate actually. And yeah, that became, that was the beginning of a whole new journey. And God spoke to me loud and clear because I was about to move to the US and God spoke to me loud and clear. I heard his voice and he, he said that I wasn't to go to the US, that I was to go to Bible college. Wow. But I couldn't, and I couldn't not go. I, I mean, I could I couldn't not do what he had said because I, mm. he'd, I'd heard his voice. And so, yeah, I threw that opportunity in and which was really hard because I'd worked, you know, with people for a, a long time. Well, not a long time. It was a few years. But, you know, they'd been working for like we've been working together as a team on songs and projects. And, yeah, it was hard. They thought that I joined a cult. Like it, um. it was hard to explain, but I'd heard God's voice and I didn't mm. understand it either, but I was all in. And I knew that I was, I knew that I was broken and I was desperately wanted to be healed. I desperately mm. wanted to be restored. So I, yeah, threw in that opportunity. I remember I got saved April, 2004 and I started Bible college, June, July intake three months later. Mm. And, um, that guy who kept inviting me to church, that's my husband. We actually got married. <laughs> But not for a long time. <laughs> okay. That's cool. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Wow, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. When you say about hearing God's voice, I'm always interested to hear for interviewees what that looks like. Is that like an audible thing for mm. you? or I've heard his voice. I mean, now I've heard his voice many times. I remember that moment. I actually remember that moment because I literally could feel it was kind of like rain. I remember I was standing outside, but I could literally feel rain droplets, but it wasn't rain. It was 
kind of glittery. I know this sounds really weird, but I was actually standing out on the street um, in Rushcutters Bay and I was like, God, what do I do? And, and yeah, I guess he just, it was like that still quiet voice that spoke to my spirit. Mm-hmm. So not an audible voice, mm-hmm. but I, I, I felt the presence of God like literally wash over me. And you know what? And it was so far removed from anything that I would ever say to myself. Yeah, true. <laughs> like it was okay. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was God. I knew it was God. Great. And, and he just made a way for me to go. Um, I mean, I, I changed. Yeah, that was a big call. But he just made a way. Mm. Great. Mm. And did you enjoy Bible college? I did. I did enjoy Bible college. It was challenging. I was very aware of my brokenness and I was very aware. I kind of came to a a realization that I actually just didn't know anything. You know, I'd gone from someone who was very independent, who thought she knew everything and didn't need anyone. And, you know, quite headstrong to to this understanding. Almost, I almost felt like a veil was removed and I could actually see life for what it was and my situation for what it was. And, you know, the Bible talks about the renewing of your mind. It was That's a process. Mm. And it was a process. But I was all in for the process. I was running to that operating table and I was not getting up. Um, I really desperately wanted to be healed. And I knew that God had something bigger for me. Um, and I'd been broken my whole life since my mum died. I'd had been just walking around with this gaping wound, like mm. literally unable to function emotionally. And just the prospect of, wow, I can actually be a normal human being and not think these thoughts of, you know, I wish I could die so I could be with my mom, which is something that I'd always thought my whole life. Mm. And that I could actually function as a normal human, like whole and restored and, and emotionally healthy. Um, that was, that was what I desperately wanted. Um, so I was all in. I was, I would go, yeah, I was all in. I would just spend nights at home in worship, in worship. <laughs> and it's so ironic, you know, that one thing that used to make me so angry. I, I, that's such a big part of who I am and my call. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that should have, you know, what what God had. Like the devil which literally will really try and use what is your call um, against yeah. you. But, yeah, like, I went to some really great um, Christian counsellors over the years, um, like, during that time. And, yeah, it was really, it was fantastic. It was awesome. It was a process, but it was awesome. Um, I mean, that was 12 12 years ago. But, I mean, I can can honestly say that God has restored everything a hundredfold, like, a hundredfold. In fact, like, I always say I feel like I've, I've got double for my trouble. Like, yeah, he's definitely come through with the goods. Fantastic. Mm. So great. And then you started working in TV. Is that right? I did. Yes. I started working in TV. That was, that was quite random. I, I kept getting these, I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, I kept getting these prophetic words. God wants to use you on TV. I see your face on TV. And had no interest in TV and I just remember saying asking my dad I'm like so do I do something about this like or do I just leave it or um and he was like well some people you know actively pursue or some people don't (laughs) like like, there was kind of no clear direction um he's very um yeah diplomatic Mm. And but, for the sort of non-Christian listeners, so prophetic words being people from your church would feel like God's yeah. telling you something? Okay. Yeah, like they would literally come up to me and say, I feel like I feel like God really wants to use you in TV. Okay. you like, oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. And look, after, I can't remember what year it was, but I was working in HR actually. A bit random <laughs> and um, I was serving yeah at our church as the vocal director there I decided to quit my job which was like a Monday to Friday job and pursue television <laughs> again which was a bit insane I got a casual job where I could 
um, you know, take days off if I needed. Mm -hmm. I volunteered. I did lots of volunteering, did lots of stuff for free. I was interested in TV in general, um, behind the scenes as well, in creating television. I had kind of come to realize how influential television was. Like, it literally tells a vision. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be part of creating that. And the truth is the people that really make the decisions about what goes on are the producers, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the people presenting. So I really wanted to be part of producing and presenting. Yeah, I did lots of volunteering. I, you know, would email all the production companies and say, I'll come work for free. And yeah, I did lots of that, and which was great. Made my resume look awesome. Mm. And then I got a job at Channel 10 working in production. But I got the job at Channel 10 because of all the work experience I'd done. Yeah. And did you enjoy beginning that kind of work in producing yeah i loved it i loved Mm -hmm. it yeah it was great i really enjoyed it i learned a lot did a lot of you know breakfast shows getting up at the crack of dawn oh yeah yeah and then did a kind of transferred over to do some presenting stuff for channel 10 as well kind of did both Mm, how did that happen the transition to on screen Um, i put together a show reel i was still very aware of that and then I, I think I also realized that they got paid a lot more <laughs> yeah. let's be real <laughs> um so I put together a show reel and yeah look I, I mean honestly it's kind of right place right time mm-hmm. mm. great yeah so doing some on screen stuff and and then I actually I started hosting hit splits that's right so hit splits was a music show Saturday mm-hmm. morning music show and I got that gig um, and that was really great. That was awesome. Yeah. Nice. And so I'm not sure about the timing, but you and your husband also started your own music. Yes, we yeah. did. Yes, called Positive Hits. So mm-hmm. um, that was my husband's brainchild. Actually, we kind of started working on that before we were married. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did three series. So basically it's a music video show. We wanted to create something that, teenagers and young adults would actually enjoy watching they didn't have so much booty and sexual references and all that jazz we wanted Mm -hmm. something that was positive i guess but still cool um so yeah he had a vision for it and we so we made it ourselves (laughs) (laughs) um which was you know we'd never made a tv show before all by ourselves um we certainly had learned a lot from some of the shows that I'd worked on and yeah so we did three series and that aired in Indonesia the UK a small network in the US and here in Australia on the Australian Christian Channel and yeah it was really awesome we really felt like God told us to do that and so we did it great Mm. you also became a radio announcer with Hope 103.2 can you talk about that so, yes, so right now I host the morning weekday show, Mornings with mm. Emma, conveniently named, um, <laughs> nine to one weekdays. And before that, I was doing weekend breakfast for a couple of years. I was doing a lot more television. I'd then gone to the, doing some stuff with the morning show on Channel 7 and other bits and pieces. And yeah, I'm trying to think how that all kind of, that kind of came about actually from positive hits. They were looking for announcers and they'd seen the show positive hits so I started doing weekend breakfast there and um I'd done a little bit of radio while I was hosting hit splits the other music show that I'd done a few years earlier but not much and certainly never paneled or produced a radio show as such where at hope I'd panel and produce the show so I had to learn a lot you know from scratch but yeah it was great and I also at the time so that was kind of on the weekends, but we had two little kids, remember? So in mm. this time, we've kind of skipped over that. We actually had two babies. That was crazy. <laughs> and I'd also gone back to study um, journalism on like via correspondence. So weekend, it was actually kind of all perfect for me in that season. And it was just this year that I took the, the Monday to Friday job. But I think before this year, I wouldn't have been able to, to do that. Mm. Um, Sorry, it wasn't this year. What am I talking about? It was last year. Yeah, beginning of last year. So I've been doing that for a year now. Yeah. And how do you sort of come up with the content for your show on the radio? It's a bit of 
I, I'm lucky because our my main audience is actually just from our research. It's actually people just like me. I come smack bang right in the middle of our of our um, target audience. So, so I think I find that a bit easier. I liked I like we we tackle the tough topics, um, and I have an interview at least one interview every single day. A lot of our listeners are parents, so I have parenting experts come in and chat and. We just talk about the real stuff, you know, I've got a five and a six year old and you know, this is, how do you deal with this? Like, tell us and use my own life um, as examples, which I think people really appreciate because it's authentic and it's real. And I also, you know, like to give people a laugh. I like quirky stories. My sense of humor is pretty quirky at the best of times. So, but I think people enjoy having a laugh and having some fun. And, you know, we also do um, battle the the topics that are in mainstream media but perhaps aren't given the angle that they deserve. For example, Mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of weeks ago we had – it was all over um, the newspapers actually kind of Australia-wide about the Anglican churches that were going to take asylum seekers, refugees in. And they were copying a lot of flack on, you know, talkback radio and and newspaper articles and morning television and – so I talked to one of one of the churches that had put their hand up and said, yeah, we're going to do that um, on the morning show and just allowed him to speak. But also uh, at the same time, ask the questions that people want to know, like, how does this work? How are you actually going to feed them? Where are they going to sleep? And then what? Like, how long are they just going to live there forever? Like, <laughs> like the practicalities. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the journalism degrees come in really handy. It's just. I mean, I've always loved learning in general, mm. but it's just allowed me to stretch myself in, in pulling out the best story um, out of people and getting people to tell their story well. Mm. Mm. And you do writing as well for publications like Mamma Mia and Mickey. Can you yes. talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So I've pulled back on that a bit, actually, since I took the Monday to Friday radio show, just I just don't have enough hours in the day. I wish I had more, yeah. but I just don't. Yeah. So how did that even come about? I did, actually, it was when I was studying journalism. I really enjoyed writing. Mm. Um, it was I just found a bit of a niche and, and really enjoyed it and and then was as surprised as everyone else when people actually wanted to publish it. <laughs> I was like, what, really? But I found it was a great way to, I guess, help people actually yeah help people and I just felt like God just would give me different topics and different angles and I'd just write and people would publish it and read it and I still I still have no idea how that all came about but yeah oh that's really it was cool it's just an outlet I think to communicate into something that I really enjoy doing mm. Mm. great and you're also the face of what's new uh, yeah, yeah. Do people recognise you? <laughs> My um, nephew loves to sing that. Actually, yeah. Uh, surprisingly, yes. Um, I've yeah. been quite surprised. Yeah. Do you enjoy doing that? I love it. Mm. I do really love television, um, and I, I love presenting. You do emceeing for live events too. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is that an interesting experience as an introvert doing these sort of? Do you know what? I've actually learnt a lot from my husband. He's a great MC. He's a great communicator in general. Um, and yeah, I've actually learnt a lot from him in that in that regard. I, I wouldn't have booked myself to MC a gig a few years ago, but <laughs> but now I would. So you do a bit of acting here and there as well. I was particularly interested. You did an episode of Red Fern Now. Mm. How was that experience? That was awesome. Again, acting is something I really love. It's kind of like the writing. I just really love it. And I've really had to, um, yeah, it's actually been really hard to choose for me what to focus on. Because mm. with acting, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of all or nothing. Like you've got to be all in. And, and yeah, I've dabbled and I really love it. But when I've really kind of had to make a decision what to focus on, I felt like God's led me to other things and mm. I've just had to be obedient to that because I, I know all of all of this opportun- all these opportunities are from him. So I don't ever want to be doing things in my own strength because there are so many things I could be doing. I actually once had a, um, a vision from God and 
there were all these boxes and one box was at the front and the box at the front was really full and all the boxes at the back just had a little bit in it. And then the boxes moved and a different box moved to the front and that was full. And then the other one that had been full just had a little bit in it. Mm -hmm. And God just said to me, um, you need to listen to me as to what bo- what box to put in the front in what season. Okay. Yeah. And that's, so that's always been, I guess, my, my guide. And I never want to take things into my own strength because I know it's all from him. So, you know, if, if I really feel like he's not saying to go all, all in with the acting and, and focus on that, then I just need to be obedient to that. So yeah, I've done bits and pieces and I've really loved it. I've really loved all of it. And I love Red Fern now because just because it tells the story of, um, you know, the original people of this country. And I think that's a story that needs to be told and needs to be told time and time again. I'm passionate about that and them. So I just loved that God allowed me to do that on that show. Yeah. Great. And are you able to talk a bit about your role as a mom and a wife? So being a mom is honestly, it sounds cliche, but it's actually the best thing that ever happened to me. So um, we had we had two very pleasant surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's been the hardest job, but at the same time, it brings me the most joy. Like mm. I wouldn't change it for anything. So yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's definitely a sacrifice. Like I've had to turn down great opportunities because we don't have any family in Sydney. So it's just me and my husband. We just tag team. But, you know, everything's seasonal. And so I, you know, I had to turn down a lot of stuff in those first couple of years. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I've got no regrets. They're just, they're awesome. Our kids, I love them so much. And um, yeah, they give me the most joy, definitely. Them and my husband, yeah, they're all number one. So mm. family definitely always comes first and always will. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And there's a bit of a perception, I think, amongst Christians that it's difficult to be an authentic Christian and be in the public eye and particularly in the media. Do you have any reflections on your experience with that? I don't think it's difficult. It depends. Like, I mean, my background, I wasn't a I wasn't a Christian and I've already tried everything. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's people that have been Christians their whole life and then they're thrust into this, um, you know, this lifestyle where there's lots of things on offer which aren't that great and, you know, it's kind of the high life with glitz and glamour, whatever. But I've kind of been there, done that, and it's an empty life, you know. So And now experiencing life with with Jesus it's like I wouldn't trade it in for anything so I mean you know none of it's new to me so maybe that's why I don't find it challenging because it's Mm. like yeah (laughs) been there done that yeah um I think the challenge I mean I think the challenging thing actually comes from religious mindsets from other Christians I'm very passionate about people actually going out to their mountain of influence, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's seven different mountains of influence. And I think God is, he needs people in there. Like you can't do much from the sidelines. You can just talk a lot and yell a lot, but you need to, we need people actually in there influencing the influences and, you know, people that are at the top of their mountain of influence, making a difference. And would you have any advice just for people in general that would like to to be in media about I mean you mentioned before about volunteering and building your resume is there anything else you'd suggest oh I think if they want to be in media they should go for it because um it's actually I mean media tells the world what their values are it's media is so influential people don't even it's kind of like they're unconscious as to how influential media is if 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 media says something's awesome, they're like, okay, it's awesome. If, <laughs> um, and, and that's just the world we live in. But you'd be surprised. It's only, it's only a handful of producers deciding what shows, what, you know, what they're going to do a story on a current affair that night. It's one producer having an idea. It's like, yep, go for it. So mm. it's a small handful of people with mass influence. And I think that's what people don't realize. Um, 
and it's normally the minority that's the most vocal. And I mean, the, I remember the first day I was working at a TV network, and they said to me, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> oh, really? It's it's all about the ratings, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, welcome to media in 2016. But mm-hmm. we need people working in media. We need people telling the stories. We need people telling other people's stories that need to be told. We need people with integrity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you want to work in media, go for it. Go for it. I mean, why not you? Mm-hmm. I, I, I was actually talking to one girl. She just finished school. She got accepted to journalism. And she was thinking of not um, not doing it. Cause she's like, oh, so many people go for it. It's like... I didn't even, I could not even comprehend. I'm like, but why not you? Like, someone's got to get the job. Why not you? Like, you don't have a chance if you don't try. Mm. I mean, I'd rather try something and fail and then it's like, well, at least I can say I tried. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Great. Great advice. And then amongst everything else you do, you and your husband are also the night service pastors at C3 City Campus. Was that quite a different different space for you as well yeah so actually this year i mean it's february no it's not it's the first of march um <laughs> second of march i don't second. know second there you go. it's a blur um this year we actually are just moving to well actually the same i mean the same as part of the pastoral team but just not doing the night service anymore i really yeah i mean i feel like that's my purpose you know mm. um so yeah I love it I love loving on people and I'm really passionate about just guiding people to 100% emotional healing I think that because that's what God's done for me and and um, I can see when other people are not walking in their 100% potential mm-hmm. so I'm like let's you know if you want things to be different you need to do something different let's don't don't live the rest of your life operating at 20% when 100% is completely available to you yeah so um I'm passionate about people living their best life and just pulling out the best in them and helping them just on that journey of finding complete restoration and complete healing because out of that when you're completely healed completely restored then you can you know fulfill your potential and everybody's called to great and amazing things and god has a plan for every single person's life and i can't stand by and like watch people not walk in that when god has so much more for them so yeah i think anything i can do to help people in that journey to fulfill what whatever it is that god's called them to do and encourage them because the world is so full of discouragement oh my goodness like Mm. it's everywhere um so yeah i really want to combat that with Mm. encouragement and you know help them in that journey um so yeah I'm really passionate about about that what's the biggest challenge for you in that role uh look the biggest challenge is is not having enough time because we're volunteer Mm. (laughs) and having to have a job and kids and earn money and to pay rent Mm. and there's the reality of living in Sydney and just having more time I think and having too much vision and not enough hours but I think long term, I, long term down the track, um, that will definitely be something that will be number one ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there'll be seasons, I think, where other things take a back seat and that's number one. Yeah. And you also, uh, you're an ambassador with Compassion Australia as well. Yes. You have done your research. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I am. I haven't... Um, so I actually went to Uganda with Compassion mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Um, met one of our sponsored children there, and that was absolutely phenomenal. Like to say it's a life-changing experience just doesn't actually do it justice. Like it, it um, there's an indelible change that takes place. I think when you spend time amongst those people who have lived through that such a, a trust, like the worst of the worst, like things that you couldn't have even imagined actually happened um and yet still the the most joyful (laughs) Mm. and also seeing how they live now i mean what they've been through is one thing but then obviously the poverty is like it's a very there's layered issues but um seeing how they live 
uh, it just really, yeah, I mean, it just changes you, I think. And I think until you've actually spent time in a third world nation, you really don't have any idea how good we've got it here in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, so I just do bits and pieces for them, you know, when I can, because I love what they do. I think mm. they do awesome work. Great. Yeah. And in recent years, you've written publicly about your battle with depression. Are you able to share a little bit about that aspect of your journey with us? Yeah, I wrote a couple of articles about that. Actually, I remember I remember it was after I turned 30 because I actually remember having my 30th birthday celebrations and thinking like, wow, I made it um, because the previous two years had been so horrific and um, depression is horrible. Uh, it's like a wet blanket that tries to smother you but you and you can't get it off and you can't explain it and and you it's heavy it's like a heavy blanket on you and there's lots of different factors and there's lots of different actual different kinds of depression like there's some parts that some depression is actually just a complete chemical imbalance other depression isn't um so yeah it's quite complicated and it's hard for people to explain which is i think why people don't explain and it's very misunderstood, but I think society is getting better at giving a voice to, you know, making it a safe place, really, Yeah. for people to say, this is what I'm feeling and I don't know what to do. Like, please help me. And I think for me, I didn't say anything for, for so long because I didn't want to... Um, I didn't want to cause a fuss, I guess. Like, I didn't know how to explain it and I... I thought these thoughts are actually ridiculous. Like I know, I know they're ridiculous, mm-hmm. but I can't get rid of them. Yeah. Um, that was a bit of a journey. So, I mean, I've gotten to the place where I'd prepared to die. I'd like made sure tra- transferred accounts to make sure everything, you know, my husband had access to everything. Wow. I'd like say little things to, you know, make sure he knew I wanted the wedding dress kept for my daughter and, yeah, I mean, for me, for me, it was a real, and it's not like this for everyone, but for me, it was a real spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember um, I would drive home from work. I was working at Channel 10 at the time. I'd drive home very late and it was kind of on a highway. I was doing late news then. And I'd have to fight urges not to veer my car into like oncoming trucks. Like I'd, I'd have to fight to stay on the road. And I remember when I, I know the I know the night when change started to come, because I was I was ready to do it. I was ready to to veer my car into a truck. Like we we're all going a hundred. Like so. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, just count down, Emma. Like feel fear and do it anyway. <laughs> like, and I remember um, I actually went bungee uh, not bungee jumping, skydiving once random but it was horrific anyway um (laughs) i'm afraid of heights that's a whole other story i thought it would get rid of it it didn't anyway um (laughs) but i just remember that feeling of adrenaline and fear but you just do it anyway and that was i was like okay you can do this just feel the fear and do it anyway so unhealthy by the way and i remember counting down three two one and then i literally just started to to scream and but started to scream scripture and I was screaming it was like my it was literally like I really think to this day what happened is my spirit took over mm. my spirit it's like I I tapped out but my spirit had a fight left because I started screaming scripture and I started screaming like greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world I will not I remember screaming actually at the devil I know this sounds a little bit spiro maybe for your audience. I'm not sure. But I remember screaming at the devil saying, I will not die. I will live. I will not die. I will live. And I was just screaming it as I'm driving saying, I will not die. I will live. And as I'm screaming this, I heard the, I heard a growl like right here. It was like a growl. And I knew, I knew it was the devil. And, the, and I, it's like right in that moment, I identified this as a complete spiritual battle and um i started rebuking him and sending him back to hell and then i started to sing worship at the top of my lungs 
just singing at the top of my lungs and I heard the growl because it was really loud when it started and then it got quieter and quieter and quieter until it went wow. and I um I remember pulling up at home and um just coming into the house and just like my husband was here and just bawling and bawling and bawling but something shifted that night it wasn't straight away but something sh- changed that night something shifted like something something broke in the spiritual realm and for me my that depression was definitely a spiritual thing and I felt like you know what the devil you've been trying to kill me off for years <laughs> like ever since I was little mm-hmm. ever since I was I always thought when I was a kid I'd always had thoughts of dying and because I wanted to die because I wanted to be with my mom it had almost become like a comfort to have these thoughts like mm. and yeah, it's just like, you know what, devil, you've been trying to kill me off my whole life. This, nah, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And you, and the truth is, the devil wouldn't actually bother messing with you if you didn't have, if you didn't have a big call on your life. Because he's seen it too, and he's threatened by it. And that's why he'll go for the kill. And something shifted that night, you know. I felt like, I, to this day, I think my spirit literally took over. It was unconscious. Like, I had... I just started screaming scripture and um, it was a journey. It was definitely a journey and it took a long time, but yeah, I eventually came out of it and it's never come back. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. You spoke about a few Bible verses there. Has there been one in particular that's sort of been really significant in your journey overall? My life scripture is very simple, but it's Luke one thirty seven, and it says nothing is impossible with God. Mm. <laughs> and that was kind of my scripture from the beginning because I would prophesy that over myself. Like, nothing is impossible with God. Like, God can restore me. God can heal me. God can fix this. <laughs> and and now it almost takes on a second meaning. It's like, wow, looking at my life and where who I am today, it's like, wow, nothing is impossible with God. Um, because if you met me back then, like when I came to God as that 23-year-old, if you met me then, my goodness. Like, I, yeah. I never want to look at someone and not see, okay, God can completely transform that. I never, I never, like if I ever look at someone and think, oh, I don't know if they could ever do that. Wow. Okay. I need to go away and take a holiday and spend some time with Jesus because he is the restorer and he can, like, I am testament to that. He can restore anything, like absolutely anything. And I really believe that passionately because if... If you if you met me then, if you spoke to me like you would you would just think, wow, like she's got issues, like nothing can help her, because um, I was just such an angry person and such a broken person, and you know, um, I think God can restore anything, and um, not, He can not only restore victims, He restores, like He doesn't just restore the abused, He restores the abuser. And that's something that he really had to speak to me about because my life message is definitely the restoration, like God's restoring power. But he really had to show me that God can restore anything. So, I mean, if you think of uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, like he was Saul, he was killing Christians. He was, I mean, imagine that today, like God can restore anything. Mm. That's the perfect example. And, and one thing I didn't mention earlier, but just to, to put this into context for you, when you said, do I have good memories of Ipswich? I think it was your first question. So when I was really little, um, I was abused by the older son of a woman that would babysit me. And that, um, that was one of the things that God spoke to me about because God wanted me to understand that I can I can restore the abuser and I can restore the abused because I restore everything I touch. Everything light and every place light enters, darkness has no choice but to flee. Like I can restore everything. Mm-hmm. Nothing is impossible with God. Mm-hmm. And and I truly do believe that. 
I truly do believe that. Yeah. God can do it. God can do anything. So Luke 137 um, still remains my life verse and it always will be. Because, you know, as life goes on, stuff still happens. I mean, stuff still happens and you still have to choose to keep your heart soft um, and choose to forgive and choose love and choose faith. And, yeah, I mean, and now that scripture kind of, there's things that T and I have in our heart that we feel like God's spoken to us about in the future. And it's crazy and it's big, but it's like always that scripture comes to mind. Nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) If he's told you to do it, he'll make a way. So, yeah. So to finish on, can you talk about your hopes and dreams from here on? My hopes and dreams. Um, (laughs) Wow. Okay. So. I would, I, I would answer that question very differently now to as I would have even last year. So last year was a real dream again year for me. That was the theme of the year, dream again from the beginning. Um, and it was the theme within our church as well, but it's funny, God actually spoke that to my heart before that was announced. Um, I think God had a theme in general for his women last year. And it was a huge dream again year, and God really spoke to me about doing music again. So I hadn't served on, I'd handed all that church stuff over actually when my son was born. So, you know, he's, he's five and a half. I hadn't even sung in the shower for five years. Like, um, and I really felt like God had actually been talking to me for a few years about doing music and, and cause I write, writing worship music. But I just thought that was silly and crazy and hello. Like, have you seen my life? Like, when do I have time to do that, God? Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we went to um, Bethel Church in Reading. I've always wanted to go there. And we went there last year. And I had a prophetic word, um, which we explained a little earlier um, what that is. And she, I'd never met this woman in my life. And she said... God's been telling you to write and use your voice again and you haven't done it. (laughs) And I just started laughing because, I mean, the prophetic word is meant to um, confirm in your heart something you already know, really, that God's already spoken to you. Mm -hmm. And it's meant to affirm and lift you up, but um, it was spot on. God had been speaking to me about that for years and I actually thought it was just so crazy and I thought, oh, maybe that's me, you know, I don't know. Um, and I was very discouraged, actually, in in that gifting of mine. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I hadn't sung for five years. I hadn't even sung in the shower. Like, So, yeah, I actually needed a word like that, so clear and concise. Um, and actually, the end of it, she said, and you haven't done it. So now you're being disobedient. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. But I actually needed to hear that. That's actually what I needed. Mm-hmm. I needed God to make it so clear. If you want me to do this, you need to make it so clear. And the other thing God really spoke to us um, about and had been speaking to us about for a few years, but again, made it very clear during that time in the US was um, about us, my husband and I planting a church. So yeah, last year was a real dream again year and you know, during the entire year and even this, this year so far, we've been taking active steps towards both of those things. So I've actually, when I got, when we got back from the US last year, I started writing again and started singing again. And I mean, just to myself in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this year, my hopes, I mean, so I've been kind of working on a little music project actually. So my hopes and dreams for the future are to release an EP of worship music great um that i've written and my my hope is that it would just connect people to their creator like that there'll be some other girl that will get in the car and some crazy guy that smiles all the time will put on (laughs) worship and it will remind her of that voice that safe place that that creator who knows her you know she doesn't have to put on a show he knows her intimately and he loves her and it's okay. Like, I, I, it's okay. Like, I, I want to, I just, my hope is that the music would just connect people to their creator. Um, so that this whole process has been so surreal because I thought that was a dream that died so many years ago. 
So I really hope to finish that EP. And and yeah, I, I really um, it's because I really feel like God has got been very clear with where we are called and what we're called to do, and that does involve planning a church in the years to come. Um, I think we'll be relocating to Miami and yeah we just will continue to follow God's direction on that and what that looks like but uh, yeah I think we'll be planning a church fantastic and I might have another baby I don't know If the themes in this episode have raised any difficulties for you, you can give Lifeline a call on 13 11 14. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.